Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast, hosted by Brian Bisking. Brian started this weekly podcast to give a voice to leaders of our community, to share their story, their journey, and the lessons that they have learned along the way. Brian grew up in a small town outside of St. Louis, where he watched his father run a small business and was always interested in how the leaders in his community got where they are. Whether it's a local business leader, a philanthropist, or a celebrity, these are your STL Leaders. Join us today, where we will chat with another pillar of our community on this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. And now, your host, Brian Bisking. Hello, St. Louis, and welcome to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. On this week's episode, we welcome Tara Kenny. But before we get to this week's episode, I want to thank my sponsors. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be possible. So first, NWO IT Services, Synchrony HR, Enterprise Bank and Trust, Go Brand Go, and the Tom James Company. Crafted using your exact measurements, custom clothing is the perfect expression of who you are or who you intend to be. It's about getting what you want, the right fit, the right fabric, the right details, the right style. Ben Lawler with the Tom James Company helps you choose from over 500 custom suit fabrics and 250 custom dress shirt fabrics. He can help you build your entire wardrobe, including suits, shirts, trousers, sports coats, and even custom tuxedos. To learn more, visit stlleaders.com. And now to this week's episode with Tara Kenny. Tara Kinney, welcome to the STL Leaders Podcast. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. We have met several years ago through networking, which seems to be about just about every guest I have on here. I've met through networking in the past somehow, some way, um, and always enjoyed uh, catching up with you. And so we connected not too long ago and made a decision to bring you on to the show. And I'm excited to kind of dive in today on Atomic Revenue um, so let's kind of start what I always say is in the beginning, talk to us about kind of growing up and what led to starting Atomic Revenue. Sure. When you're growing up, I don't think you appreciate the experiences you have and how they prepare you for the future. So yeah. looking back on childhood is like, you know, hindsight's 2020. So I am the child of a forest ranger. And I didn't realize how brave that made me because we were always venturing into the unknown. And now when I'm mentoring and leading junior team members or teaching people new skills, or even myself diving into something I've never done before, I think back to being brave enough to do something for the first time and kind of going into the unknown and how it's just like going off the charted path into the woods. Um, so I think that that is really something that has shaped who I am today. The other aspect of my childhood that shaped who I am today is my parents decided to start an Amway business when I was a child. And instead of 
buying childcare and babysitters, they would take us to the meetings where they were being taught how to sell Amway products. I remember I'm, Amway. <laughs> yes. And I'm pretty sure that I still use some of those techniques today. They just became part of who I am. Yeah, absolutely. So you were a, you were a, a child of, of entrepreneurs and probably didn't even know it at the time. No, I did not. Especially, you know, my dad working for the U.S. Forest Service, you know, in a government job, no one would think of that as very entrepreneurial. And then my mom as a school teacher, not very entrepreneurial, not very tech savvy, but that opened the door for me to be the, you know, tech support for our household, set up our computers, help them do all the technology side of the Amway business. And then that also, you know, kind of set me up for the future of being able to watch non-entrepreneurs be entrepreneurial and the skills and challenges associated with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what led you to start Atomic Revenue? And for those who don't know, why don't you tell us what Atomic Revenue is? Sure. Atomic Revenue is a revenue operations firm. We align people, process, technology, and data for profitable growth. So think of us as process and operations for everything that's customer facing from all of your engagements before someone buys from you and all of the engagements after someone has bought from you. So we really cover quite a lot of bases. The foundation for Atomic Revenue was actually my predecessor company, the first one I started here in St. Louis. And we set it up as subscription, basically subscription human capital, subscription resources, because companies that are in the small to mid-sized business space cannot afford to hire a full department of skill sets that they need to do work. And in my own experience as a CMO and managing labor budgets, I really hated outsourcing my work to an agency. I really didn't like having to consistently like renegotiate scopes of work. I wanted a lot more flexibility as business conditions change. I wanted to swap out what our priorities were. So I really went into building Atomic Revenue thinking about all of the different skill sets and capabilities that businesses need in order to achieve revenue growth. And how can we deliver those in more of a cloud computing shared resource model versus an outsourced control, outsourced labor model or hiring, which is either one of those really tie up your options and don't give you the flexibility that you need when you're a small business navigating a constantly changing environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. When you decided to start Atomic Revenue, um, I'm just like any small business. There's obviously challenges in the beginning that you guys had to overcome. When you look back when you guys started, I think, what, you guys been in business six years now, getting ready to go on seven. What were maybe some of those challenges in the beginning that you guys had to overcome as a small business? Yeah. So one of the common challenges to overcome is figuring out how to present yourself in the market as different from the other options that are available. 
So because we were taking a different stance on how to address a human labor gap within company, within companies, and it was a very non-traditional way of addressing human labor gaps, um, we really had to educate the market. Um, so that took a long time, about the first seven months. I had the advantage of six years prior already running a subscription marketing company. So enrolling it into Atomic Revenue and taking on a business partner, that is really when you start to deal with the dynamics of shared ownership, shared decision-making, compromising on how fast you're going to grow and in which direction you're going to grow. So all of those, I think, are really important lessons for anyone who's starting out in business to realize that those first couple of years is a lot of competitive positioning, market education, and determining how you and your partners and stakeholders are going to work together to move the business forward. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I mean, I know I work with a lot of small businesses and I work with a lot of startups. And um, I think that is probably the biggest challenge is how to market yourself in the marketplace and and differentiate yourself from the other competition that's in the in the market. Um, but I think you're you could, could absolutely correct when it comes to that. Let me let me move to networking a little bit with you. I um, obviously I met you through networking. But let, tell me a little bit about how you utilize networking in the beginning to kind of help get your name, the brand of Atomic Revenue out there. Yes, for me, networking was critical because I am not from St. Louis. And so people here didn't know me. And anytime someone asked that St. Louis question about where you went to school, I was immediately identified as someone who was unfamiliar to anybody's network. So without being able to establish my own connections here locally, there were two factors that hindered our success as a business. One was no one could validate that I was a credible provider of services as an individual or that I was an expert because no one knew me. So if I met someone and they were impressed, They'd still go ask their friends, hey, I met this person, Tara, do you know who they are? Well, no one could say they knew me. I was a new person to town and I had no reputation. So that was a really, really important part of networking for me. Uh, the other part of networking that was important and is still important today is about 86 to 92 percent of all of my sales, so not the company sales, but the sales that I'm involved with come through referral. And it is networking that established all of those people who trust me and are able to bring, you know, sometimes private or very difficult challenges that businesses are facing to me because they trust me to solve them. Um, so without networking, I wouldn't have succeeded in business. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, St. Louis, to your point, it's it's um, it can be a tight knit community. It's going to be a small, big city. I always say, and yeah, I, I still, I, I, I joke on this podcast all the time about, I'm still not totally unsure why the question about what high school you went to comes up in business, but it absolutely does. Um, but networking is, I mean, it's built my business. Um, it sounds like it's built your business and it can have a very big impact, um, 
on on your business, whatever business that may be. And I, I find it remarkable how those numbers that you just talked about and how it's impacted, you know, atomic revenue in your business. Um, it can it can definitely pay off. But I also always say is it, networking is not a short game, right? It's not something you go out and you you're going to expect to start networking in six months later be done networking because uh, you got so much business, you can't deal with it. You got to be in it for the long haul and you, and you have to do networking the right way. And you got to be willing to meet with people and give in order to get in return. Absolutely. And when I moved here for my husband's job, I still worked from home for companies all over North America and Europe. So my network is still largely outside St. Louis, but because I worked from home, I never really got plugged into the local business community until after the 2008 recession and you know, really trying to like reestablish roots here in St. Louis two years into living here. Um, so that was very difficult as well, just trying to be a transplant sure. and having had such a broad network and then be faced with those questions of where did you go to school? <laughs> I, I don't know. No one's asked me that. <laughs> you want to know how many zip codes I've called in the last week? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a funny question, but it's it's one that gets asked. I, I bet I get asked it every single day. It's it's ironic. So and now for a quick break, we bring in our sponsor, Enterprise Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enterprise Bank and Trust knows that every business and every person is unique. That's why they get to know you in a way that the large financial institutions don't. They are our banking partner here at the STL Leaders, and I highly recommend that you check them out. To learn more, visit EnterpriseBank.com. Com. And now, back to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Let's, let's shift gears here a little bit. Let's talk about leadership um, in the organization. And let's start with COVID. Um, you know, obviously, COVID has impacted a lot of businesses over the last, unfortunately, almost two years now at this point. Um, but talk to me about how COVID impacted your business. Sure. So... I personally am in a unique situation related to COVID and was able to receive a lot of speaking and consulting opportunities as a result of COVID because I have been a virtual worker since 2005 when we did virtual work on flip phones and fax machines. So through all of this transition, now we have great things like Zoom and podcasts. (laughs) So that's been interesting to try to help employers who have never been virtual and workers who have never been virtual learn how to navigate the different ways that you establish relationships, establish accountability, and communicate when you're not in the same physical location. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, to your point, technology, I, I, I never had sold a deal or, you know, I'm in sales, obviously I've never sold anything over zoom until March of 2020. And now I would say I still, I still would rather do an in-person meeting. Um, I'm much more of an in-person um, I guess salesperson, I guess you could, is the word I'm looking for there. I'm, I just relate better there, but I would say at least 50% of my meetings going forward are virtual. This It's still at this point. And I do all of my podcasting virtual, which, um, you know, there's some people who still do that in a studio, um, 
But, you know, for me, the virtual thing works out great from a podcasting perspective because I don't have to ask my guests to drive 30 minutes to meet me somewhere, you know, in the county um, to record an episode. We can we can do it you know, over here and it turns out just as good. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that is so important with the shift that the entire world has made is that we have discovered the value of people being able to do their work when their life allows them to do the work. And some things don't have to be done during business hours. And there's a number of jobs in every industry that can be accomplished outside of those traditional business hours. The other thing is we've removed geographic boundaries. So now to recruit top talent or to pursue new markets, you no longer have to have a physical presence in that location. It's now acceptable to sell entirely virtually. Now you're going to have to justify your T&E budget if you want to travel to be able to go meet a client. Um, So it's really changed a lot of the former perceptions of how do we know that people are actually working? Yeah. So project management tools, key performance indicators, dashboards, a lot of different types of technology now come into play that allow everybody to manage their performance and for companies to know that it's all still fitting together, that our cubicles and offices right next to each other were actually not a requirement of collaborative, cohesive work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and to your point, um, I mean, I obviously I'm in the HR space, so I talk to clients all the time, and, and including our own company. Um, we have broadened our horizons when it comes to attracting and finding top talent. Um, you know, a lot of our operations team can be virtual from a from a, a payroll aspect or a benefits aspect in our company. And so we have employees now that are in Chicago, Maryland, Kentucky, um, and we don't have, may not have a physical office currently in those locations, but we have employees who are working there. And a lot of my clients are doing the same thing. You know, they're competing for top talent and they're opening um, opening up their, their geographic location to the West Coast, the East Coast, the South, anywhere that they can find the talent that actually fits their company culture um, and the, the job that they're looking to complete. Yeah. So on the flip side of this, Brian, and I love looking at both sides of this coin, it's so much easier for those of us who can leverage remote and virtual workforce to get our business done. However, where the challenge is now is all of the businesses that require a physical presence to do the job, like hands-on manufacturing, restaurant those types of businesses are struggling incredibly to get talent right now. Yeah. I, I, and it's, it's kind of sad. I, my, um, my wife and my in-laws went out to dinner a couple of nights ago and there was a sign at the door that basically said, we apologize for the delay in service. Um, we're doing the best we possibly can with the staff that we have. I've heard seen other restaurants have literally shut down because they can't get the staff. Um, other restaurants are operating on limited hours. Um, and it, it is, it's sad that these, these businesses who were super successful are struggling now just to get the staff to come in and do the work. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying for those businesses because I know they're probably stressed about it even more than, than we are when we go into that restaurant. And I would just tell anybody who's listening to this episode that keep that in mind when you sit down at a restaurant, that they're literally probably doing the best they possibly can to serve you as quickly as they possibly can. 
Um, and, it, you know, just keep that in mind when you're waiting for your dinner. Absolutely. And I will also say that I have heard people talk about now people expect to stay at home and get paid for it or not go back to work or people lost their work ethic who used to do those kinds of jobs. And I think that's also a narrow perspective. I think that's excuse making. Um, but I know a lot of people who got jobs in industries that were never available to them before. I know people who are in remote parts of South Dakota and Iowa that have a truck drop off a box of electrical components to be assembled. And on Friday and today, they come pick up the box of assembled electrical components because other companies have switched to a virtual ability to get this work done. And guess what? It's a lot less expensive to get people in remote locations to do this kind of work than in urban locations. So call centers, mailing services, so many positions and opportunities are available now that weren't before. So the workforce has shifted and they went and found ways to make ends meet and get paid. And it's not through working in restaurants and other jobs that went away during the pandemic. So we are in, a major, in the middle of a major workforce transformation. Yeah, we absolutely are. Let's talk about your view on leadership and how you lead your current organization. How do you, you know, what is your view on leadership and, and you know, how do you lead the employees that work for you guys? Absolutely. We have a combination of contractors and employees. And I think that makes leadership a lot more challenging because contractors are not bound or required to do the work the way that an employee would be to retain their employment position. So leadership is even more important in those types of roles. But I will say it's not any different than the importance of maintaining all of your relationships and leading all of your stakeholders for your business forward without being able to establish a level of trust people are not going to continue to do work with you when there are so many options available in the market. So I know that in order to retain the team that's working for me, they all need to feel like the company is a place that they can call home, that it's not just about the leadership, but about their peers. Being able to have as much peer-to-peer -peer accountability within the organization as you do management to direct report accountability is incredibly important. And I would say that from a leadership standpoint, that distributed accountability is probably a core part of my leadership style. I view an org chart as upside down. The only things that ever get to me as the CEO are the things that my team does not have the resources or training yet to handle. So anything that comes to me is my job to help the team find a new process, get new training, whatever they need to handle the situation. And in distributed accountability, they help manage 
the work of each other. They all have their own KPIs. They know their own performance. So we don't need a deep management model to make sure that everyone's doing what they're supposed to. By distributing the accountability, we have a peer-to-peer -peer management model where people are self-directed and they have the information they need to make decisions. Yeah, great. I mean, great view. Um, I've actually heard that before on a couple other episodes, but um, seems like a very successful way to lead the organization. Let me ask, where did you learn how to lead? lead um, like, where did you learn your values and your leadership views? Did you learn those from your parents? Did you, is that just, you know, hard school, you know, uh, previous positions and previous roles, or have there been education that you've taken to really, uh, to learn that? Mostly the school of hard knocks. I have the advantage of having worked with 76 companies in eight different industries before I turned 40. And I'm very good at taking best practices from various industries and applying them in a totally different environment. So things that I learned in building international infrastructure as a service cloud computing business, I was able to take that to business to consumer healthcare. And we were able to mix and match best practices, which really elevated competitive differentiation. It improves customer experience instead of always leveraging industry benchmarks, why don't we blow those industry benchmarks out of the water and borrow something from a different industry that would work in our business? So all of that is school of hard knocks. I love going to networking events where they have public speakers. I think you learn a lot from other people's experience. So that's also part of the school of hard knocks. If someone else has had a bad experience or a learning opportunity, we don't need to reinvent that wheel. We're just going to take that, put it in our back pocket. And when we see that opportunity come up, we remember that someone else handled it in a different way that didn't go so well. So we're going to not do it that same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Tara, I always end this podcast by asking my guests to leave us with a piece of advice. So if you could leave us with a piece of advice today, whether that's on leadership or owning a business and running a business or just life in general, what could you leave us with today? Well, I've had a lot of conversations with my team lately about experience and this idea that because you haven't done it before, you're not qualified to do it or you don't have enough experience to do it. And so that's on the top of my mind right now is just because you haven't done it before, do you have the skills required to succeed in doing it? And don't measure yourself against people who have experience because guess what? They all did it for a first time as well. So dive in, do it for the first time so that you can get experience. Very true. Great advice. I appreciate that. On behalf of myself and the STL Leaders Podcast, I appreciate you coming on today. It was great to learn from you and, and all the values and leadership views that you have. And I appreciate what you're doing here in St. Louis of being a good STL leader. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the STL Leaders Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode with Tom Swip.